I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. Mayred McGuinness is, by most accounts, Europe's most powerful financial regulator, and that makes her, by extension, one of the most powerful regulators in the world. As the Commissioner for Financial Services, Financial Stability, and Capital Markets Union, Ms. McGinnis is responsible for proposing and implementing an array of directives that touch on financial services and financial technology. And she's been a key player in talks ranging from the integration of the continent's capital markets to MECA, the recent legislation aimed at tackling digital assets in Europe. It's for that reason that I was thrilled to have the commissioner join me on stage for DC FinTech Week, the annual event I sponsor every year here in Washington. And she wowed the crowd with her erudition, optimism, and insight. And I wanted to bring some of that conversation to you, our FinTech Beat audience. So sit back and enjoy a conversation on what's new with the commission, and for that matter, the future of FinTech. Thank you again, uh, Commissioner. Uh, you know we've we've wanted for years to have uh, just such a great speaker and a great thinker uh, with us. It's really an opportunity here. It's been two years. It's the pandemic, so it's been a while since we've been able to meet um, to talk about fintech policy in person, along with the folks who are sort of wrapped around the room watching from other screens here um, in the building. Um, just taking a step back, the pandemic really changed the way in which we think about financial markets. It changed the way in which we thought about how we interact with one another. Um, from your perch over at the European Union, you know, how has the pandemic shaped how you go about thinking about financial regulatory policy um, and, and, and fintech more specifically? I mean, did you, do you look at the response, the technological innovation, much of it having been accelerated during the pandemic as being a largely um, productive force? Um, what, what have you seen as the opportunities and, 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 and the risks that uh, uh, when you look at the post-pandemic performance of, of finance and fin financial well, technology? Well, the first thing is it's great to be physically present because I've been wanting to be here for some time. So, uh, And I was eavesdropping on the previous conversation. It was really good. I think that what happened during COVID wasn't planned or organized. It was just we had to change our ways. And it was extraordinary what systems did, health systems, financial systems, educational systems. We mobilized, we used digital, uh, we got connected because we were forced to do it. And I believe that COVID, which had horrific consequences for many people and families, when it comes to the digital side and fintech and services and financial systems, has accelerated the rate of change. Uh, and therefore, I liked your last quote as I was eavesdropping about what will fintech be called shortly? Yeah. Finance. Uh, and I think you're right. It allowed people to continue doing business, uh, both public and private, for businesses to keep um, you know, capital flows. And the banks really worked well. I mean, our banking system held up. But because of that acceleration, I think there's more expectation now of what comes next. Um, so out of necessity, I think we, we were very um, agile, we were inventive, and the system worked. I mean, one of the things that I'm always cautious on around digitalization is when it 
breaks down or where there's a, an attack, a cyber attack, and I'm sure we'll talk about those things. Uh, but we advanced things to a, a good place. Uh, and some people who um, you know, hadn't accessed financial services, I think everybody has at least one or two smartphones, uh, now have access in a way that they wouldn't have had. There's always a concern around those that are not digitally connected. Uh, and there are many in society who aren't, and that they miss out on these opportunities. And maybe one last thought. It's interesting that we're very happy to be together, that the human contact is important. I'm wondering at some point with fintech and digitalization and not needing to meet or talk or have a physical presence, whether that may be an issue when we call it finance in the future. We will say, what about the human connection, particularly when there's problems? But, but really good things were done during COVID on finance. That was really interesting. In fact, just by, by, by chance, I, I did have the chance yesterday to, to speak uh, briefly with Vice Chair Barr last night. And you know, I, um, we were talking about the kinds of professions in a, in a central bank. And uh, you know, there are lots of economists. And I said, you know, maybe a couple of sociologists could be a very interesting sort of addition to, to central banking and, and maybe even to, to financial regulation. So when you talk about that, that human element. Yeah, I actually think if you look at the things that we face now, certainly on our agenda, climate change, uh, digital transformation, how do you organize change? You do it through sociology. It, yes. I mean, it's not just about paying people to do things. You need to use all the sciences. And I, I'm a real believer in using sociology to allow people change. My background is actually agricultural economics. And when you're trying to change how farmers think and behave, you use sociology and you kind of see who, who are the leaders in groups. I think it's the very same. And I'm sure maybe those in the fintech space don't realize that you are using those techniques, but they're very important. I think you have to uh, hold on to the human dimension to finance. And I think that is the one area that I keep watching because one of the things I said when I took on this role was I wanted to put citizens and, and people at the heart of the financial system. I wanted people to have the confidence, and I, it's really important with uh, digital finance, to ask the right questions online and indeed offline and not to be satisfied with the answers unless you were really satisfied. So how do we make people more digitally and financially aware and have the skills to deal with this new world of finance? Particularly vulnerable communities, yes. uh, whether they're older people or younger people or different uh, groups in society. I think that's hugely important. I think digitalization can be transformational if we use it wisely and include uh, financial literacy. Oh, there's so much there. I mean, for number one, uh, as a kid from Arkansas, one of the most agriculturally uh, dependent states, I invite you at any point in time in your visits to go visit my home state. Uh, because, you know, sociology is very important, even with the farmers. And, and we did have a, a discussion earlier about what financial literacy means in a digital economy. And if digital literacy itself needs to be introduced as a concept, you know, when, when, when thinking about financial literacy. But this is just fabulous. Um, you know, uh, there's a certain optimism that you have just sort of coming up and talking about you know, the responses uh, from uh, the European Union, um, particularly when engaging issues like, like, like FinTech. Um, and it's a kind of optimism that uh, maybe you don't always see here in Washington, uh, particularly when trying to tackle some of the more um, sort of challenging areas of, 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 of innovation. But you, know, you, you guys have really sort of outperformed us a bit in certain kinds of key areas in terms of introducing new legislation. One is uh, particularly in the digital asset space uh, with, with Mika. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we, we, frankly, in the States, I think we, we 
ideally would like to pride ourselves on a sort of faster legislative process, but you, you know, you guys came out very, very, very quickly with, with, with a really robust package. Mm. Maybe could you just sort of talk to us a little bit about what, what you know, Mika is and, uh, you know, what that means for, for, for digital assets. I think the first thing I'd say is we're not competing with you. We just <laughs> were there. We needed to do something. So we got working on the proposal. And our system is that we and the Commission propose and then the, the ministers in, in council formation and the European Parliament, where I once was a member for a long period of time, they amend. So we think we're great on the idea and then they tell us actually not so. <laughs> we're going to change some of your ideas. Um, and essentially, this was about trying to put some reason and rule around us, uh, an area that had grown organically um, and people weren't sure where it was going to go to, except we saw the potential, but we worried about the risk. Um, people said, why didn't you ban it? And I thought, no, you can't ban something that's there and that there is um, a potential around the technology. So in a word, what this markets in crypto assets, Mika or Mica, however you like to say it, is trying to put structure so that, for example, we have a union of 27 countries, but if uh, one of our, these um, uh, currencies, uh, uh, cryptocurrencies is registered by a regulator in one member state, it then has access to the single market, which is a great um, facility to have that access. But equally, there will be a requirement on stable coins to have a prospectus or white paper saying exactly what it is, how many um, will be issued, uh, the shape and size and color basically of what uh, the plan is, but also that you will not be able to make claims about the value of. And indeed, you may have to state specifically that while you invest, you may not get your money back. Uh, so it's really to, I suppose, open the eyes of those who are investing, to give them clarity about what they are putting their money into, and also given certainty, legal certainty, to the companies that are developing in this area. Now, I would say that um, my reading on this is that those who were in the early stages of crypto didn't want to be in the regulated space. They wanted to be elsewhere. Some still want to be elsewhere, but I think those who want a future understand that we needed legislation. And the legislation is now through our, our process, it, it comes into effect uh, shortly down the road. But we have that certainty. Um, but I'm, I made the point, and I've written about it, and I think it's been right here, is that you know, these are global developments. So the European Union doing its thing is, is good. We needed to do something, but we would hope that there would be a global um, coming together. We may not all do the very same thing, but it is back to the previous conversation about what are the risks, what are the possibilities and, and innovations here that we want to manage and get the best of, and how do we do that? I think there are differences in our approach, so we, we figured that we needed new legislation. From what I read from colleagues here, maybe you have legislation around securities that could work. Um, and we're going to watch that really closely. And I know that my services are in touch very much with, with the colleagues here. And that's really important that we do that. Because at the moment, this unregulated space, which sometimes is compared to the Wild West, um, the, the warnings are that, OK, at the moment, we're not too concerned around potential financial instability, but we're not sure that we could rule that out 
uh, in the future. And one of my titles is financial stability. So I think that's a really a key issue as well. And the idea that you do manage the same risks and you, you regulate for these risks. So our legislation will cover many, many uh, things that are now literally without any uh, detail or rule. It gives that legal certainty. Um, it also, um, if very big uh, crypto uh, providers could be regulated centrally by our central regulator, but the rest will be regulated at member state level. One of the observations I would make, uh, and I, I applied this to myself so I can apply it to others, is this is a fast moving space. Regulators need to have the skills and expertise to deal with this. And it's an area that I do have concerns around. How do we keep up with the evolution of this space and how do regulators do that when we ask them to, to do more and more. But we're very pleased that we got it in place. Another area which did cause some concern is around energy consumption. Uh, I'm not sure if this came up in your conversations. Right. It was a big issue with my co former colleagues in the European Parliament. Uh, and there were some saying, well, we should really ban certain types of uh, mining. Uh, that wasn't what happened. But I think it will be an issue that will be watched very carefully. And it, indeed, it's something that when I was coming here, I thought, you know, is anyone asking now about the energy cost uh, and where the energy is being sourced? I think more and more that will happen, and I think some already in this space are changing uh, the technologies that they're using in order to try and consume less energy. As you know, energy is a very big topic, I think here, but also across the European Union. So, I mean, overall, the process of getting this in place, we had lots of debates, and then in the end, we have a good compromise. Um, and I think it will strengthen uh, the innovators, mm -hmm. those who want to be in this for the long run. It may rule out those who perhaps shouldn't be there at all and need to leave. That may mean that some people get hurt financially. Um, and that has social consequences yeah. as well. And I think that was one area where um, if you look at a generation that may be using apps on phones, you know, just tinkering around with trying to make, because some believe that things go up and up, but if you're as mature as I am, you know that doesn't happen. Uh, and therefore there is a need, and this is why I bring in financial literacy. There is a need for us now in particular with the way finance is and less human contact to make sure that at some point we all learn the basics of money. Uh, and we shouldn't complicate it. And I think sometimes the financial system is really good at complicating what is very simple. I always say to people, if you earn money, you work hard for it, you should make your money work hard for you. If you think you, are, you know, can take a risk of investing in a crypto because you see this as potential, know the risks that you're buying into. And if you're not so uh, sure you can deal with it, don't do it. Uh, that sounds very, very straightforward. But I kind of listen to sort of the 20 years, that age group, downwards. Um, and I know and see what they're up to because I have four of them in that age group. And therefore, I sort of, um, I don't snoop at the phone, but I, I, I just think it's interesting. <laughs> Promise I don't. I think it's interesting. Uh, and it's, it maybe goes back to the point I make about regulators. The one thing that we should not do is um, judge and rule by our own personal experience, but rather try and see what's new, what's coming up, What's the potential? Uh, and when I took over the, the role here as Commissioner for Financial Services, not here, sorry, I'm back uh, uh, in, in Brussels, um, it struck me after I spoke to colleagues in the services that the financial system is going to undergo a revolution. It's already started. So what I understood about the financial system and my interaction with it when I was 17 
it's going to be so different for 17-year-olds today and those that come up because they are, well, they're more tech-savvy, they have different ideas about what services they want, they're not going to use the same cards as we used. And let's harness all the good about that, but be open. And this is why coming here, I like contributing, but I love eavesdropping because you learn a lot from each other. And I would say as well, and it's a thank you to my own services and the people who work in the services here, we work well together. So we talk to each other and we try and understand what's happening. So we, if you like, harness and harvest the best uh, of the conversations that we have. And ultimately, the idea is to, first of all, you need to protect consumers, or at least make sure they're informed about what's happening. And secondly, this is a live event almost. We need to harness uh, innovation. And we also need to make sure that we allow for innovation already. So we have a pilot project on DLT. It's already been used by some in the financial system. Uh, and we changed our, our rules very quickly to allow for that. So on the issue of time and, and you know, how long it takes to, to make rules, we can move as fast as we need to. During COVID, for example, we moved rapidly around uh, all sorts of things, including uh, passports for, for travel with COVID vaccinations. So I think all our systems are capable of fast action when we need it. Sometimes in this area, and I've said it moves so fast that you wonder, are you really ever going to catch up with it? <laughs> but I think we have a settled space at the moment. I mean, sometimes I'm asked by, by consumer groups and others like, what's the point of this? Um, and sometimes that arises too when we're talking about digital currencies, so central bank digital currencies, what, what's the purpose here? Um, and I think it's good that we start talking about that. Um, and of course, people in the fintech space know why this is helpful for service provision and many, many other things. Um, and I think we need to talk about it more outside of ourselves so that people can understand that this area can evolve and offer absolutely enormous potential. I suppose the last point I'd make is that traditional banks, um, some of the services that perhaps were earning some profit, some say not an awful lot, but those services may be taken away. So the traditional banks will be called something else, I think, in time. Um, but everybody likes to make a buck. I'm sure that's just a rule you know too. Uh, so we have to see how is that made? Um, and is it fair? Where is it being made in the system? And who's carrying the cost of it? But you know, it's great that people are innovating and that we can use technology in this way. And again, referring to your opening question, um, look how digitalization has stood to us during really stressy times. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's uh, because I, teach millennials, I also see a very different kind of a conversation, you know, teaching law school students in, 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 in the United States and then, you know, from time to time uh, testifying or something on, on, on the Hill. Mm -hmm. And uh, particularly when you see, hear some leaders say, hey, you know, there's no, been no good technology since the ATM and then literally their grandson or granddaughter is using Venmo to like send money. I'm like, yeah. not a good look, not a good look. <laughs> uh, so, you, you know, I, I guess um, uh, because you're a was uh, first really as a, as a major market to come up with the rules for um, uh, uh, digital assets and, and, and crypto, or at least in, in the form of, of Mika. Do you, you know, uh, do you see a kind of Brussels effect, you know, through it? I mean, I mean, to what extent do you, would you expect uh, uh, that legislation to be able to uh, influence other actors? And 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 I guess embedded in that question is the other question of of you know where. Uh, do you see with the United States, you know, the, maybe let's call it the, the, the closest areas of, 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 of agreement and, and, and are there any areas where 
not necessarily disagreements, but maybe more emphasis uh, in, in one jurisdiction versus the other? I mean, the Brussels effect is that if we legislate, you know, others tend to look and, and follow. Um, but we also look at what others are doing as well. I think anyone in regulation or legislation, yeah. you have to have your eyes wide open. Um, I think on this particular piece of legislation, um, I always believe why redouble your efforts? If you can learn from others, we're very happy to have engagements with those who want to see the process we went through, what we got right, what was difficult, and where there might be some sensitivities. Um, I'm not sure about the differences um, between us, there'll always be differences between jurisdictions as to how you legislate and maybe some wording. I rather look at what is the objective of what we're trying to do. And the objective is that there was this evolution of fintech, well, crypto in particular, that, that happened without anybody re realizing it had evolved until we said, gosh, this is a big area here, we need to know what's going on, particularly when things went wrong. Um, so how are we going to manage that? Do you get rid of it altogether? That's impossible because it would come back in another form uh, and maybe worse. Uh, and, and secondly, uh, if you decide to, that you want to uh, allow it develop, what are the tracks you want to put it into? So I think our objectives should be the same around consumer protection, helping innovation, all of those good things, uh, including making sure that this area is not vulnerable to anti-money laundering efforts. And this was a real big concern, uh, including around sanctions, evasion, uh, etc. So it's a very hot topic. Um, we know what happens in the ordinary financial system, so the crypto space can be a particularly vulnerable area. Um, in differences, because I've been picking up pieces today, it seems you might use existing legislation to put, put this right. into, or already it should be part of that. Uh, but look, I, I'm, I'm here really, as I said, to listen and learn and equally to share our experience. Um, and overall, it was a very good experience. It was interesting, the differences. I don't know if energy comes up here as an issue, but in, in Europe it does. Yeah, I was, about, I was about to say, in, in, in terms of the, the, the areas of emphasis, yeah. you know, just, yeah. just naturally, uh, in my own mind, energy yeah. came up. Uh, energy, um, consumer protection is big. Um, the issue of money, anti-money laundering is, is really big. We have also a piece of legislation um, tightening our anti-money laundering efforts because, you know, every time we do something, there are clever people out there who find ways so we're actually going to Europeanize it, so we'll have a central authority. Yeah. Uh, we also moved very fast to make sure that this crypto area came under our existing legislation. Um, going back to the point I made, initially those who were involved in this area, it seems to me, wanted not to be noticed. They wanted to evolve but let nobody notice or regulate. Um, and certainly they wanted total privacy. And I think if you're trying to address terrorism financing and, and anti-money laundering, you really do have to find out where, where are things going and who's who in, in the pie. Um, so that would have been an important piece of, of uh, the discussion for us. And then the issue of you know, the issuers and then the service providers and all the different links in the chain and how we manage those. I mean, there, there was a lot to talk about, um, but, but as I said, I think we've already had good contact with your colleagues on it. Yeah, it, it has, has to whatever extent, you know, uh, when we talk about blockchains, we talk about things like smart contracts and automation. I mean, that's something that Vice Chair Barr had brought up. And, you know, and trying to figure out, you know, what, you know, liability when you're talking effectively about algorithms and, and but, but also developers behind them. I mean, is this, is this also, when you think about the AML, KYC, like, is this a part of the conversation um, or are you just sort of opening up the, the, the process of thinking through those issues? Well, I think we have to do a lot of thinking about this um, decentralization of finance and this idea that there's nobody there but everybody's there. 
Uh, and I think that is an issue of how do you eventually, where there is a need to track, where do you find the person? I mean, our work on um, the piece of legislation, the markets and crypto assets is complete, uh, but our thinking around this next piece of the financial story is not. Uh, because we, we need to have lots of conversation around what does it mean for the entire financial system? What does it mean for central banks? What does it mean for individual consumers? And what does it mean if you can't find, other than a machine or a, a formula, for liability or for those who might be trying to break the rules? So I was hoping that you might be able to give me some pointers because I, I hear you're good at this sort of thing and I think people in academia can help, um, you know, help ha have this conversation. It's a very new area. Yeah. It probably has exciting possibilities. Absolutely. I, I mean, one of the things when you talk about the financial system is there's a lot, a lot of layers to it. How many layers will we eventually take out? This could be very good in terms of, you know, service at lower cost. But what are the costs of taking out those layers as well? So, I mean, if you ask me now for a clear direction as to how I think this would go, I'd say we're going to keep talking. Yeah. We're going to keep listening. We have to get it uh, right. It's, it's still evolving. Um, and I think it's probably more, I was going to say scary, but certainly more, um, it's, it's quite dynamic compared to crypto, which will seem like, uh, you know, compared to what could come. Yeah, one of all, as a matter of fact, one of my great, great pleasures and privileges uh, that I had uh, recently was, was to testify in front of the European Parliament and I um, talking about Mika. And one of the things that, that sort of come up, and I'm seeing this as a remark from, from, or a question from the crowd, which is kind of interesting, is as you bear down on the you know, um, AML, KYC, and the sanctions issues and the market integrity issues that are obviously in Europe extremely uh, important, uh, you know, you're, you're doing all that against that backdrop of also longstanding European principles in, under uh, GDPR you know, and, 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 and privacy and the like. Mm. like how do you, you know, how do you think through that balance, particularly in fintech and financial technology writ, writ large? Well, privacy is really important. We have strong rules around what I can do with my data and who gets access to it. Uh, you talked about open finance earlier, so we're going to have some proposals on that quite shortly. Um, and it will be around also making sure that the, the, the person controls who gets access to the information. On the other hand, we know that information is key to the provision of better and more services. So we do have to balance very carefully. Um, and, and the European balance is different, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, than, than might be here. Um, but, but we do that because we have to, because our um, politicians, and I was one in the parliament, would demand uh, that we look after people's information and their data shouldn't be given away or uh, if it is, it has to be used in a certain way and the person has to give that, um, that permission for use. So despite those differences, again, I always look to what's the objective. Mm. Uh, and there's different tolerance around uh, privacy issues perhaps here than there is in the US and, and, or rather in Europe and we have to abide by what our legislators have already passed. Yeah, uh, it, it really is, is fascinating. And by the way, I have no idea what the answer is. But when I talk to some of our, our, our leaders here, whether or not it be with, with FinCEN or if I talk to some of our national security people, you know, it, it's fascinating because on the one hand you do have um, the opportunity for obfuscation, which can lead to abuse of um, blockchain-based systems, but you also have this radical transparency that can also lead to interesting privacy questions, right? You know, um, uh, and, and if you push too far in one direction, 
you know, you end up with, with results that, that, that can end up endangering people. And it's a fascinating sort of, again, I have no idea what the answer is, so I'm not going to bother you, or b bother you with that, that particular question. But the question of values and the question of how people interact with one another mm -hmm. is something that you brought up earlier. And, and I think it is especially um, uh, uh, important. Um, when you look at sort of the, the, the immediate um, next round of decision making, not just in, in, in terms of uh, crypto, but you had also started to mention some issues relating to um, a, a perhaps more and additional open banking regulations are like, what do you see your time, your focus sort of in the next 12 to 18 months and in terms of what your objectives um, in the sort of financial technology innovation uh, well, space? One key one is, is to the, the point I raised around retail investment. So we will have a big strategy on retail investment, trying to harness the, the money that's on deposit that up until recently wasn't earning. So how do we get retail investors confident enough? We want to deepen our capital markets. We will need a lot of money for our green and digital transformation. And this is part of that conversation. Uh, that's a key piece of work uh, around the open finance area as well. How do we uh, evolve? Uh, on capital markets, we're doing a lot of things to try and make sure we don't have barriers between member states. There's a good bit of work to do around that, including around insolvency. So some of this is quite technical and, and maybe dull, but really important for us to get strong capital markets. We kind of look here and we think, wow, you have strong capital markets. Uh, we have the potential. We rely very heavily on bank financing for our businesses. It's really the opposite yep. here. Uh, so we need to see what you're doing. Um, and, and we're trying to make sure that we capital flows across uh, our 27 countries. I mean, the country that I know best, the member state I know best, joined 50 years ago, uh, the common market. It has evolved all of those years now to be the European Union. Uh, it's true to say that when it comes to free flow of capital and uh, all that that would involve, it's only a work in progress. Mm. Which you can either say as well, that's taking a long time, or as I do, the potential is huge. And I think digitalization, uh, will help us in that. So, so I do think that now is quite an exciting time, a, a difficult time politically, uh, of course geopolitically, uh, stressful issues around the financial system and energy. Um, but for us in Europe, and I mean this is a key point now, we realise for example on the energy piece that we need to invest rapidly in more renewables. We already had a plan, it has to be accelerated. To do that you need money. Where do you get money? You get it from some from the banks, some from the public purse, but a lot from the private sector. It, 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 you know, that is um, really something, a nuance I never really thought of until j just now, and I think it's, it's, it's useful even for American, um, uh, an American audience to, to, to think about. You know, that you, when you're talking about that retail investor space and, and sort of bolstering that space, you're doing it against the backdrop of what the European capital markets or banking markets look like as compared to the United States. And there is this interesting question, particularly in a world of both you know, more volatile markets, and newer kinds of products, you know, how do you deepen your retail space? And I think in the United States, there's still some ambiguity about how retail do we want retail markets to be, but you, know, you guys are starting off from you know, a question of liquidity and depth. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, any, any, any you, we only have a minute, so you know, this is pop quiz. Uh, you know, any, any kinds of initial thoughts when you think about retail investors, the kinds of protections that you wanna, wanna, wanna have as you think about deepening those markets? Without talking about protection, I want people to be aware that there is another way for your money to work for you. Right. And that is investing. 
but I also want them to be aware that it's not a given that you will get a return. Um, so this is about being savvy around money. Um, I think the, the story of Europe is that during COVID, those who were working, you know, there was a lot of money because people couldn't spend, couldn't do anything. That is actually beginning to flow out. But wouldn't it be fantastic if we could have harnessed all of that towards our, our future around sustainability? Um, and I think this conversation, you know, is going to grow and grow as people become more aware about pension provision, about education provision. So, I mean, it's a very different uh, starting point than where you are. Um, but some of the newer things like um, the retail investor, <coughs> excuse me, on the apps and all of the stories around payment for order flow and these kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, we're watching that very carefully. We, we've actually proposed a ban on that uh, activity. It's been interesting that I thought that would not be, wouldn't get a lot of opposition, but it was striking where the opposition was coming from. And it was coming from younger people feeding it into the political system. Um, but it's been a good debate so that people understand what these things mean. And if you're okay with yeah. them, as long as you understand, then I think you take the risk, but be aware. Commissioner, uh, uh, it's just been a pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Uh, and for enlightening the audience, and certainly enlightening me, I, I, I really learned a lot. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming down to thank DC Fintech Week. My pleasure, thank, thank you. One of the great things you learn while listening to Commissioner McGinnis is that regulators, just like consumers, view fintech from their very own needs and requirements. Commissioner McGinnis is, of course, a regulator, and like most regulators, thinks hard about consumer protection and what it means to provide adequate services and supervision in capital markets, and what's necessary to keep them competitive. But she also thinks about things from the standpoint of the continent. The fact that in a decelerating economy, it's important to make sure that risk is broadly dispersed and that the avenues to capital are as accessible as possible. Now, these kinds of considerations can lead to different areas of emphasis for policymakers, especially where in some instances, banks may dominate as sources of capital as opposed to, say, stock markets. And this suggests that even as officials across the pond may have similar objectives, getting there will likely be a bit different from here in the United States. And as a result, keeping an eye on those objectives may end up being more important than how jurisdictions actually get there. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.